Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Yes, it did. Love it said it would. For the Bobby Eaton Show, yeah. giving you information you'll want to know, speaking on issues affecting us all, and music for the soul. Yeah. It's the Bobby Eaton Show. Bobby. It's the Bobby Eaton Show. Bobby. It's the Bobby Eaton Show. Bobby. It's the Bobby Eaton Show. Hello, world. Good afternoon. Hey, good evening. Good morning, wherever you're at on the globe. Hey, and welcome to the Bobby Eaton Show. And this is where we tell our stories our way. We give a voice to the voiceless. And uh, we're located here in the heart of Black Wall Street, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, it's a lot of stuff going on. And uh, we're kind of uh, in a little pain, what I would say, due to the fact that things are going on here in our country, and they keep reoccurring things, you know, as far as our police department shooting and um, killing ours. So we want to talk about that. Their blood cries out, and that's what we're going to be talking about. I got Miss Tiffany Crutcher and Greg Robinson here in the house, and we're going to be talking about that. Meanwhile, we want you to keep in mind that we're here every Monday, Wednesday, uh, 6 o'clock p.m. Uh, Friday now is called Funky Friday, you know, and it, um, as soon as this COVID lift up, we're going to start having some fun around here because we need some fun in our community. We're going to, on Friday nights, we're going to be having barbecues and fish fries outside, and we're going to stick a DJ out there, and we're going to broadcast live, and people can play some games. I'm thinking about even sticking a volleyball net over there or something like that so we can start having some fun in our community because uh, it's a day-to-day process for those of us who are steadily working in the community to make a difference. And uh, we just need to be uh, uplifted. And, you know, sometimes we, we, <laughs> sometimes we, we need a glass of water too, you know, so we want to do that. Well, Hey, I'm going to take a little break and I'm going to come back and uh, we're going to have um Tiffany Crutcher, Greg Robinson in the house, and you know we tell our stories our way. It don't matter what we say. Uh, I'm unfiltered when it comes to a lot of stuff. We do everything. I don't care. We split verbs. We whatever. We just talk our talk and tell our stories our way, and we're going to be right back. So, um, oh, before before I leave, keep in, mind, keep in mind that tomorrow night is the Juice Radio Show. I want to always promote our young people, 6 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time, and um, tune in. Ramal in the hometown heat. 
We're on uh, KBOB 89.9 FM here in Tulsa. We're live streaming as well. So go to the website, KBOB899.com. You can go to the website wherever you're at here on the globe, and you can check us out. In the studio, how are we doing, Tiffany Crutcher? I must admit that um, I'm not really doing okay. You're not doing okay. All right. That's okay. Greg Ruffin as well. How are we doing? The air is thick. It is very thick, you know, and I can get a sense and a feel why it's thick, you know, because it's thick every day for us as African-Americans here in our country as we still systematically uh, get shot, put down, everything on a daily basis, and it's a daily struggle, you know. The struggle continues. And so we got to start educating our people and getting them to a point to where they can realize their culture, their history, where they come from, you know, and because if you don't know where you come from, you don't know where you're going. And we got to know how to combat and fight this beast, you know, that we're up against every day. So I know uh, upon this situation in Minneapolis that took place, uh, the police officer putting his knee on the neck of an African-American male is very disturbing. And I know it brings up memories for you, uh, um, Tiffany. And uh, what are you actually feeling right now? Mm, I'm angry. I'm devastated. Uh, George should be alive. And so just trying to figure out a way to honor him. And the only way I know to do that is just to continue to advocate against police state violence and racist policies and practices. That's the only way I know to honor him. And it's just to keep doing what, what we've been doing, what Greg and I and our, our collective, our organizers, our activists, what we've been doing for the last three and a half years. As you stated in your intro, the marathon continues. Why is it that it seems as though now it's murder has been happening in the African American community for years. But now that we have technology involved, cameras that can capture all of these situations, it seems like like it's more. Every month or so or a few weeks or so, we're encountering murder taking place before our very eyes. And do you think it's a lack of uh, cultural training amongst the police part department, or do you think it's just racism? I, I just need to say this, and I'll let Greg jump in. We've always had tapes and evidence. I mean... The lynchings, they were on postcards. <laughs> they sent mm-hmm. them around. Yeah, yeah. You, you get what I'm saying? We can see the evidence of the steps to nowhere right here in Greenwood mm-hmm. where they burned down our community. We've always had evidence, but the law has just been applied differently to us, if that makes sense. But there's always. Yeah, there's the always been. Past and present. Past, yeah, past and present. We had postcards. We could see the lynchings and the hangings and the disparity of uh, uh Greenwood and stuff like they that. Boasted We've about had it. that, you know. But now it seems as though we, as a people, 
are now being able to capture it more. They were taking those photos. You know, they were smiling and laughing from the lynchings and stuff like that. Right after church service and stuff like that, they go hang a for hang a nigger. You know what I mean? But now um, we we're capturing a whole lot of evidence and stuff like that. Yeah. Reading a book right now. It's talking about the story of Mississippi and civil rights movement and written by Charles Payne. I've got the light of freedom if you want to look it up. And it is describing how lynchings and the things you all are talking about, not just lynchings, though, murders, just cold blooded murders were used intentionally. And that as uh, the civil rights movement began to pick up steam and you couldn't just shoot a Negro right there in the street that there became more veiled ways of killing, right? And I'm bringing that up because there is a history in America of using violence to assert your dominance over other people. And when you think of it in that frame of mind, then the police outfit that we see now uh, is just a replacement. It's just a shield. Uh, and so when you look at the backgrounds of some of these officers and folks that we let in the police department, and we know that it happens uh, in Tulsa, if it had not been for people who were not in the police department, we know for a fact that there would have been a trainee uh, that right now would be on the Tulsa police department who shared these sorts of uh, ideological thoughts. And so make no mistake that the culture of policing is one that is ripe for white supremacist mindset. When you combine that with the um, cover that police have, because our Supreme Court uh, has allowed for the interpretation of I feared for my life to be uh, in a split second and in an instant to where it covers. It essentially makes murder legal as long as you have a badge. And so for me in America, racism is going to exist because prejudice is going to exist, correct? But the reason we have a government uh, and, and we have policies, they are supposed to protect us from ourselves. And the big issue for me is, I guess what I would say to you is, I don't, it, being racist is not an excuse. You can be racist all you want to. If you commit murder, you should be going to jail or being executed because that's what happens in America by law. The crime to me is that we have allowed for a culture to develop because murder is legal. We've allowed for murder to be legalized. So I would assert to you, if we would just change the policy, and that's why I followed Dr. Tiffany Crutcher, who looked at the situation and saw her brother bleeding on the street and said, mm, I can go and make somebody else bleed. Uh, and she probably wanted to do that at certain points. Um, or I can go and make and, and change this system for the better, make this system bleed. And at the core of it, that's the only protection that Africans in America have ever had. Um, I despise people who try to tell us that people just woke up the next day after the civil rights bill had passed uh, and, and all of a sudden they were their mindsets had changed. No, the same mindsets 
that allowed for Jim Crow to exist, they still exist. We just have laws and policies that keep you from doing that. And so I just want to stamp the point. I want to stamp it that we can we can have a responsibility of a black person to learn how to be black when they encounter a police officer. And we can try to have police officers go through implicit bias training so we can change the culture and the mindset. But at the end of the day, if we don't have the policies in place to call murder murder and to say if you kill someone, you're going to be subject to the same laws that anybody else is subject to when they mm-hmm. kill someone, then we just we we plan. Mm-hmm. We, well, how we, do we, we do that? We may as well just yeah. How do we do that? And start a civil war. Honestly, it, how it, do we change those laws and those policies when they they're the ones who've written them and put them in place? The Constitution was was written without us in mind. It's called white rage. So and, and how do we change those regulations? Because every police officer that I've known that have murdered an African American male have basically got off on all of them. I have never known anybody really to get locked up except for maybe, uh, what's his name? Uh, Eric Harris. Um, what's the guy? Gates. Bob Bates. Bob Bates. Bates. And uh, finally, after three you know, or four trials with trials. Uh, Kepler. Yeah, However, Kepler. Greg hit the nail on the head. Yeah. I mean, policies have to change, and you hit the nail on the head. They, policies. These policies in the Constitution was really never designed for us anyway, but it's called white rage here recently with the, the administration of, of Donald Trump and his DOJ, Jeff Sessions, William Barr, um, they've just let people run free and, and do whatever they've rolled back every civil rights policy that was in place. I mean, if you talk about consent decrees, if you talk about practice and patterns, investigations, um, they pretty much just diminished and dissipated the entire civil rights division of the DOJ um, because they're pro-police. It's all about law and order for this administration. But when you talk about policies and procedures and white rage and, and racism, we, we're thinking acutely. A lot of people think of, of white hoods and Klansmen and no. actual mm-hmm. physical violence that you can see. But when I think about white rage, I'm thinking about these policies and and procedures, and I'm thinking about the black robes, not not the white robes. I'm talking about the judges who are on these benches, who are uh, saying, "Hey, you're going to go to jail for 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 60 years for a nonviolent crime." I'm thinking about the DAs that are elected. That's white rage. It's subliminal, and 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 that's what's killing us slowly. Ben Crump has a book called "Legalized Genocide of Colored People." Mm. Legalized genocide of colored people mm. Where they kill you slowly Where they lock us up They take away our life They rip us apart from our families Over non-violent cl- crimes That's what we're dealing with And so how do you chip away um, At this At this giant you know, um, Policies and, and procedures That are baked into the fabric of this country Into the DNA of this country And so sometimes This morning I woke up really feeling hopeless because yeah. I, I, I reflect back on everything that we've been through. Greg and I um, at City Hall fighting and marching and doing press conferences and, you know, up late at night, you know, developing strategies and writing letters and, and I mean, almost across the, 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 the goalposts, almost in the end zone. 
And every time we get close to that one yard line, they move the goalposts every single time. And so I, I found myself looking at this video. I found myself reflecting back on Ahmad Aubrey. I found myself thinking about Kenny, um, Brianna's boyfriend, who was just protecting his castle, hmm. you know, standing his ground, because they say you can do it if you own a gun legally. And I think about all these things, but yet he's, <laughs> you know, charged with assault of a police officer, you know, murder of a police. I mean, and and how do we fight this? I mean, I I'm, I'm that's just a mental question. health crisis. And this this is this is how you know that the country is built for one group of people and not the other. We don't even recognize. We looked at we looked at the crime of abusing opioids and said it's a mental health crisis or healthcare crisis. Mm-hmm. We looked at crack and said it's a it's a them problem. And we're looking at the actual murder of people and cannot recognize that I have friends who went to school, graduated, went back home uh, to places like Houston, Texas, um, and dedicate their lives to making other people's lives better. And they're now on Facebook screaming out, you know what, maybe we should just start killing the cops. When you get people who have done everything right who have overcome all of these obstacles and said, we're going to do it the right way. We're going to believe in this system. And you devastate us time and time and time again. We're not bulletproof and we're cracking. We're cracking. I've spoken to several black men today that I look up to. And when they answer the phone, they answer with a sigh with a deep breath, like something is just on their back. I can't do my, the things I've heard today. I, I got a lot to do, but I can't focus on it. Why, uh, this is just too much. We should just start shooting back. These are all things that I've heard, not from the, the people that you say that carry around the guns. These are from the attorneys, from the teachers, from the, uh, from the financial experts, the doctors. This is a mental health crisis at this point. The principles. I mean, we're in a state of emergency. This is a public health issue. And, um, you know, I got in trouble for saying this early on when Terrence um, was killed. Time to go to war, whatever that looks like. And I think about Greg and I, we, you know, we came back home to Tulsa. We came back home to Tulsa because we care about our community. We care about our children. Uh, we respect the elders, want to give them a break and, and figure out how we can make this city a better place. And we go out to to the housing properties, Town Square and Comanche and, and, and engage and get proximate to the issues, to the people who are affected by the systemic racism. And, and, and we're out there protecting our community and we're out there real time seeing little kids watch police officers roll up on teenagers and start harassing them. And then when we go and and, and we're thinking that we're going to be able to share this with the powers that be in this city, with the leaders who have the power to, to, to make things right, we get called liars. 
So then fast forward, we're here in a, in the middle of a pandemic. And then I'm seeing white people at the state capitals, even in Oklahoma, with Confederate flags, brandishing AK assault rifles, AR-15s, because they want a haircut. And the powers that be, oh, we understand. They want to go to work. They want to feed their family when we just want to live. I mean, the, Greg said, we live in, in, a, in the tail of two cities, period. I mean, those railroad tracks that symbolize the South from the North, 100 years later still symbolize the exact same thing. And, and we know it's a disconnect. We, we understand that it's a disconnect. We understand that people may be listening or if they hear this kind of conversation that we have, they say, well, that happened in Minneapolis. That happened in Dallas. They, don't, they missed the point. No, it happened to me. It was my brother. It was my cousin. It's the same thing. And so that's why I say it's a mental health crisis because Mr. Police Officer in Town Square, you may – you may think or you may have been trained to approach in that sort of way and ask those sorts of questions. But the same reason that you think it's okay to ask any black person any kind of question, any kind of way, because they automatically fit a profile, is the same way you now fit a profile. That's the danger in this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's the danger in this. Even if I want to see the good in a police officer, if I don't know that police officer at this point, why would I have anything other in my mind, then that this could be a dangerous situation for me. Am I not? Am I not entitled to that? Almost is that not the first, the logical conclusion to come to? I mean, because if you accidentally step the wrong way around these people, it might it might be over with. And you're true, and that's you're so right about that. You can be, uh, you can be bird watching. Yeah. I mean, come I, on. I've talked to several young black men who are fearful. I mean, I get fearful. Everybody get fearful. A police officer pulls up behind you while you're riding down the street or pull up on the side of you. You don't know what the outcome is going to be until you get away from him. I think uh, that we need uh, more. If we're going to have police officers, because I think they're a gang within themselves. Yeah, that's a question. If, you know, if we are going to have police if officers. If we're going to have – we need black police officers – who are not afraid and not scared to talk and stand up for their people. Because, see, we got some here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, that are so scary. They're about their jobs, and they're not going to say too much of anything because they want to just uh, protect their jobs, you know. And they don't do the work in the community that they need to be doing. And so I'm just saying it. You I'm know? calling on I'm the, calling, black officers, you know, the black organizations, officers. the black mm -hmm. officers' coalitions. I know in Dallas, the black officers' coalition, they spoke up today. Mm -hmm. They said, now this is about our community. We owe it to them as a black man, as a black police well, here woman. In Tulsa, Oklahoma. And here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, I'm challenging the black officers' coalition to, to step, step up. up and speak out. And, 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 and we, we need to hear from you all. We, we really need to do. hear from you all at this point. Because at this point, we don't know what to do. As I shared last week on the show, right now, these good officers, these so-called good officers, speak up. You're the secret sauce. You're the secret sauce. Right now, why was it? And I have to keep going back to this, and I'm unapologetic about it, because that's why I left Montgomery, Alabama, to come and fight 
Why did Betty Shelby get the opportunity to carry a gun and why was she unleashed onto our community with the domestic violence history, with the restraining orders, with the assault with a deadly weapon? Nobody spoke up. Nobody spoke up. Why was she able to watch the video and get her story straight three days later? Why was she able to meet with her friends and go back to the division? Why? And so when I think about what happened with with the police officers in the Ahmaud Arbery case and Brianna two months later and, and right now these folks were fired, but if that was you... Bobby, if I that be, was you, Greg, be you would be jail. locked up maybe with no bond. That's right. So to go back to what Greg said, initially, we have to change laws and we can march and protest and it's necessary. It is because what we've done and the organizing efforts that they've done across this country to expose and put a spotlight, that's that's one role. That's one track. But this policy track, we have to, first of all, start educating ourselves on what the laws are. And, and what's happening. And then we need some people to organize. We need organized people <laughs> plus organized money to get us some power. We don't have any power, but I've had people all day reach out to me. And I just want to thank you all. Everybody who have, has reached out to me and checked on my family and, and, and that's allocating space for me today. I, I just want to say thank you all my white allies. All of my black brothers, my black sisters, I appreciate my Hispanic brothers and sisters. I want to say thank you. But sometimes I feel like Martin Luther King that I've led my people into a burning house because I wanted to do this the peaceful way. I wanted to do it the right way. Let's just be nice. You know, let's not go and and burn stuff down. And, And I feel like when I reflect back, because nothing has changed since Terrence was killed. Not one policy. Not one policy. Everything is ambiguous. And we've given them the blueprint. We've had national partners from LDF, from Human Rights Watch, EJI. We've given you the blueprint. I mean, I just got off of the phone call with with, with the person that met with the mayor and his team in Denver, Colorado. They called me and said, hey, we've been watching that whole thing. We were excited that they met with us. We thought that your mayor was going to do the right thing. And then here comes the FOP. And they start hollering collective bargain agreement. And the mayor starts dumbing it down. And, and Greg, I, I'll let you piggyback because I'm about to elevate. Got so, <laughs> I mean, but they said we thought that Tulsa was going to be the model. And then, bam, they, they scrape it, put it back into the hands of the city council. You know, our, our, our district one city councilor who's been just about that life, about her community, about preserving life in her community she said let's get it to the vote of the people and all the city council had to do if they didn't want to take charge if they didn't want to own it just let it you know they could have voted for it to be on the ballot and guess what they said no because of their constituents hmm. who, who, who who's not impacted by this issue so now where we are with the oversight board We call it the OIM or the Office of the Independent Monitor, for those of you who don't know, because there was some confusion because people thought, oh, we're finally getting ready to do it. But they didn't realize why we were fighting it. It was classic toss as well. (laughs) It was classic toss. And let me just break this down. The OIM, if it had been passed as if it was instituted, would have been classic toss. We would have had a uh, 
a check the box activity done in a way that felt like we were progressing. When we went and did our research and spoke with Denver, Colorado, what we found was in order to monitor, if I'm monitoring you, Bobby, I'm watching you in the moment, correct? So that then I can say, hey, maybe you should go interview that officer. Maybe you should interview this person. Maybe you should suggest this sort of penalty. That's monitoring and correcting in the moment because what we want to do is get it right the first time, right? What we were actually being proposed was not an office of the independent monitor. It was an office of the independent auditor. Now, what is an audit? An audit is when the work is already done. I just come back behind and say, oh, yeah, based on what you show me, this looks right. Well, we already know how that's going to go. So our answer uh, was no. No, because a check-the-box activity is no is not what we need. It would have been classic Tulsa. Example, last week, Sergeant Dave Walker, who was over the investigation of my brother, Terrence Crutcher and Betty Shelby, got offended because he said, I did that investigation. How can you tell me it was wrong? Dean Finley said, I've been on scenes where what I saw wasn't what was on paper. Sergeant Dave Walker last week, said on this radio broadcast that we turned witnesses away. Greg, that's what he said. We didn't render aid for two or three minutes. And he said, we don't know who that witness is. So there are things that went wrong. He admitted that had there been an office of the independent monitor, we would have been there as a partner, Absolutely. as a partner, not as Mm -hmm. someone looking over your shoulder, but hey, Here's a second set of eyes for you because I know this is stressful. I know you got to get this right. But you all turned witnesses away that saw what happened and what Dave Walker said. I bet you Crutcher's attorneys know who that witness is. You bet your bottom dollar we do. And that's that's the power of white supremacy in that white supremacy is so powerful that this is actually a conservative way to look at things. Having an office of the independent monitor is the is the most conservative way to protect the police department. What we were arguing was if you want us to trust the system, have somebody independent that can watch it at the same time. That way, whatever that conclusion is, what are we going to come back and say? We can't come back and say it was the police. We got an independent monitor that's stamping that. So. It clearly wasn't to put the police into a uh, into an unfortunate situation. And the reason we know that is. These are conservative cities and conservative states that are adopting these practices. When you're talking about Nashville, Tennessee, when you're talking about Cincinnati, I mean, these are not bastions of liberalism, okay? But what happens is in Tulsa, we have a history of we can't face up. We can't face up to the massacre. We got to hide that. We can't face up to the fact that one of our founding fathers was a Klansman. We got to hide that. We can't face up to the fact that we had a police officer in 2016 murder uh, a citizen. And before then, we had police officers murder other citizens. We have to hide that. And in terms of having an independent monitor, we can't face up to the fact that it just makes good sense. And the history of the police department would dictate that we need that kind of policy. So we have to hide that and make it a rubber stamp. And the danger here is that we have a lot of 
what they say, what Martin Luther King used to call um, them good them good folks, right? Well-intentioned folks. Mm-hmm. And I want to read something, and I read it all the time. But the reason that we need to pay attention to our ancestors is because they're trying to tell us something. Mm-hmm. So this is Dr. King. I'm going to read it again. I have almost reached a regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block and his stride for freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klaner, but the white moderate. Now, here it comes. Who is more devoted to order than to justice? Who prefers a negative peace, which is the present, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice? Wait a minute. He keeps going. Who consistently says, I agree with you in the goal that you seek. But I cannot agree with your methods of direct action. Mm. Why don't you wait? The sa- it's the same thing. And the great curse that we have here in Tulsa and that, and that our, it starts with our mayor and unfortunately even our police chief right now has a responsibility in it. And anyone who takes office has a responsibility to go above and beyond just words, has a responsibility to say, we have to take bold and decisive action. Because if you don't, even if you start doing the right things, like Dr. Crutcher and I were out at Town Square again a couple weeks ago, handing out food, handing out popsicles to the kids, just putting smiles on people's faces. And we asked, we checked in, uh, have our friends from the police department came. And listen, we were happy to report. They'd been by there bringing food baskets. Now, I wonder why they're now bringing food baskets. And I, my question to you is, if you could bring food baskets now and you're not doing Task come Force on, Tuesdays come now, come on. why couldn't you have done that six months ago, 12 months ago, right. two years ago? Right. Why can't you community police like this all the time. And that's all we want. And say it. That's all Be- we want. Because every time that something like this happens in Minneapolis or it happens like this in Tulsa or it happens like this in Dallas and you just say to yourself, and now I am talking to the police chief because I, I've seen the moves that our police chief is making and he is doing better things. But I'm challenging you. You have to name it. You have to state it because when you don't, you still allow for a culture of white supremacy to exist. You allow for a stream and a culture uh, to permeate itself, and you provide safe haven. And you have people like us, people who are advocating for this community, looking like we're the liars or we're crazy. And meanwhile, all the evidence is saying that we've been correct this entire time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if the police really want us to be allies, if they want to continue to exist, then they have to call out and say what they want their uh, organization to be. No, in no other in business, if your company messes up, the CEO got to call it out in teaching. If the school messes up, the principal Mm got to call it out. And in policing, Mm -hmm. if police are messing up, it is not enough for me to call it out. The police chief got to call it out. That's it. 
Straight up, man. You gotta have that kind of police chief. Well, yeah. I, but listen, mm-hmm. and, and, and and we and principal, principal, CEO, but we have to understand with policing, it's a totally different dynamic. There's a power dynamic that we're dealing with. We're talking about life or death. For sure. It, it, it's, it's different. There's another layer. We're talking about life or death. It shouldn't be the community's responsibility to de-escalate anything because I don't have a weapon. Now, don't get me wrong. If you're going and you're getting ready to uh, apprehend an armed robber, do what you have to do. But these names and these hashtags that we're talking about, these are people who are writing hot checks. These are people who are sitting on their couch eating ice cream in their underwear. These are people who are sitting in their front room babysitting their nephew playing video games. These are people with their hands in the air leaving school with a stalled vehicle. These are people that are running and jogging or, or, or looking in a, a, a house that's under construction, unarmed. This is what we're talking about. How do you cover? We have some issues that need to be addressed, and it has to be named, and everything rises and falls on leadership. And because we hold you accountable, the people that we pay to serve and protect us, we have every right to ask questions. And that doesn't mean that we're troublemakers. It doesn't mean that we don't want to work with you. Well, you have to tell the truth. And that's the, that's you know, the narrative. And, and that's you guys out are there. telling we... the truth. And, uh, you know, for me, I have a hope and a dream that one day black people will be able to go back to that black Wall Street way of life. I wouldn't even mind if we would de-annex away from you know, we have our own. Okay, Homer John. You know, right, right, right. You know, and that's you know what I've been uh, feeling for years. I mean, if we could get together as a people and educate our people to be advocates for for civil rights and who could stand up and do the right things for ourselves. You know, because I'm so sick of uh, us with our hands out expecting something to, to change. We have to change our mental capacity in our own minds and start educating our babies, telling them the stories of Black Wall Street and all these shootings and policemen and all that so they'll know, so they can be aware of what's going on. Because until we do that, you know, we're going to be continuing on to fight this beast. I don't understand why we have to, 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 to fight and beg for life. That's what I'm saying. Fight and beg for life. It's, it's it's crazy. Well, I mean, it's it's insane. Well, and and, and I gotta Bobby, worry about whether I'm gonna get shot or not. And Bobby, the thing about what you're saying is, is it it does sound good. Educate sound- educate the community and get them to a place. But here's the danger of being educated. When I educate you on the realities of the situation, and you and you start saying, well, what have these people in America done for us? other than take from us, kill us, steal, right? Then you begin to breed a group of people who say, wait a minute, I'm looking at the evidence and I don't see you as brother. And so I'm saying that to you to say, what's happening in our people's minds when when educated people are saying, man, maybe somebody need to shoot back. 
right? Because there's a point. Well, there's a okay. Mm-hmm, so I'm okay. I'm putting it that's out there. You're talking some Malcolm. Listen stuff to now. me now. I'm putting that's mm-hmm. what I'm putting it yeah. out there to say. <clears throat> we can't live in la la land and think that you can just educate people and that they're gonna say. All of a sudden, oh yeah, you're right. We shall overcome. No, take when on the start, talking points of the oppressor. Well, right. Well, when see, you start educating people, he, they're gonna say, "Let me free myself." And so my warning, mm-hmm. I'm I'm trying to. Dr. Crutcher is really her, the, what happened with Dr. Crutcher is and the Crutcher family is really a warning. None of us in this room right now, no one listening, will have any power to stop what would happen. If an unfortunate event happened tomorrow in this city, we would have no power. Well, we have no power. None. Yeah. So I'm sure, I agree with that. So, so I'm 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 saying that to say that if we, this is not if, if America is going to be the America that we have tried to buy into, this is a two horse race. Yes, black people have to have. Uh, freedom of of education and mental thought and get themselves into a place where we are no longer uh, okay with being stepped on. But at the same time, our brothers, our white brothers and sisters have to get to a, a mental space in their heads where they're just as pissed about their brother getting his neck stepped on as I am. That's what I say. I've said that so much. I believe with us being 14% of the United States of America, only 14%, 68% of our black men are in prison, right? They say the prison systems hold about 68%. If we're 14% and now uh, Hispanics have moved up to 17% of the, they've, you know, they surpassed us right there. And we're still really we haven't taken any uh trains out of the you know no we're still going down the railroad tracks and haven't taken out any of the, the um, you know what I'm talking about the yeah. the train booths, so we're not getting any closer because that 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 caboose in the back is not getting close to that engine no it's getting further away it's getting further away right we're adding box cars that's what I'm trying to say right box cars so therefore, if that's happening. And see, I think we're breeding a new generation of young people as some of the elders die off who say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud and had some pride about being black. Then now some of the uh, youth feel as though they're entitled. They don't understand that they're standing on the shoulders of blacks who paved the way so they can be able to be where they're at today. So we have to educate. We got to educate. Hey, those police officers here, I remember when I was coming up as a kid in Tulsa, they would take you out to Mohawk Park and beat your tail out there and then take you down. They were, uh, Chris Deloney, a friend of mine, fought the police and got shot and killed, you know, because he was fighting. So it's been going on forever. It's, this is nothing new. It's just that it's just magnified itself so much now. Every week we're hearing about these innocent Black men being killed. So what can we do to fight the system to start getting in a place? Because you've got a few 10% of uh, activists who are out here in the trenches doing the work, 
Yeah, just a little small 10%. And the rest of everybody sit back and kick back and say, ooh, especially here in Tulsa, we got some cream puffs here. You know, we really do. We kind of soften some areas when it comes to protests. We'll protest for two weeks. We'll get up with the signs and protest. And then you can see, because the cream will rise to the top, and you'll see those who are still in in a front line soldiers who say, you can name them. You can basically hear name in Tulsa. Them, name them. You can just, no, I ain't going to call a bunch of names. Well, but you well, can, you can name, I could, I could go down the list and talk. A lot of times we 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 don't have the opportunity to um, take a break or sit down. Oh, you We're don't. Fighting so many issues on so many fronts. But I will say this: I'm. This is just my personal style. I'm not into shaming anybody. Right. Um, because if this was the incident that caused you to wake up and say, "Hey, I want to get involved," I'm. I'm. My I'm, arms are open. I'm for that I'm too. For I'm for it, and I've you. had that because. You know, this is a train that's not going to stop. People are going to get on and get off. This is a voluntary army, and I'm grateful for your efforts. Um, however, how do we utilize the people who are ready to activate now? Right. And that's my goal or my job or my duty, Greg's duty as an organizer. How do we deal with this cohort now? You know, because these this cohort over here is burnt out. They need a break. So now how do we reel in this new cohort and, and, and utilize them and activate their power. And that's what organizing is about. And and I will yeah, say how this, do we do that? It's a consistent deal. Yeah, so yeah. saying organizing as a term we use, we say it's a slow and respectful work. Mm-hmm. And and you till the soil, you till the mm-hmm. soil. And so there are things that are how lying beneath the surface even now, the consistency, the broadening of our coalition and if you just just the fact that the connectivity, I, I often bring up this radio um, show and and the growth that you all have had. Uh, Bobby, two years ago, you didn't have 89.9, right? Of course. Um, now you do, right? And it is, it is, yes, it is because of you said this is my vision and I'm going to keep striving toward it. But also there were a lot of people that, you brought in that supported this piece, whether it was Juice Radio or the Bobby Eaton show. Um, and now not only do you have a radio show, but you have a, a cadre of of shows that are community driven on it. It's that same sort of thing that is happening within our activist circle and community. The fact of the matter is, is that uh, when I came here, came back four years ago, um, I had a conversation with my mother and she was not wanting me to get out there because she said, you're going to be out there all by yourself. She said, you better find you some soldiers. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you now that there are definitely mornings when I wake up and I do not have it, mm-hmm. but the, the fight is still continuing. It continues. And so I say, mm-hmm. I say that to say that as we are talking about this, words matter to me. Um, it is, it is not true that movement isn't happening. Actually, a lot of movement is happening. A lot of growth is happening. And it's because of that. I think there is in part because of that, that we have a black police chief. There is this whole last 18 months, there has been an exorbitant amount of pressure on this mayor. This mayor has not been talking about um, all the economic gains and the growth of downtown for every time he got to say something about that. He got to say something about policing. And that's intentional. That is not, and that's not because of two or three people, mm-hmm. and it's not because of two or three black folks either. It's because of 
when you start organizing and saying, listen, we're going to bring in and allow a space to grow where if you're sitting at home and you're saying that's not right, we're going to give you a space to come and add your perspective and your two cents in the way that you need to add it. And so for the people out there listening, I want you to know that whether it's sending an email when you see that post on Facebook or it's donating money to that cause or it's coming out to that one community meeting that you can go to or making that one call, we're so incredibly, we're so incredibly grateful Mm -hmm. because that's how, that's how it starts. You send that one email and then you you hear something about it on, on the news and all of a sudden you can see that, wow, my efforts had a small piece of making a difference. Absolutely. And I'm saying that because in a time like now, when I call my friends, Dr. Crutcher, and I hear it in their voice, I hear it in their voice that they're just not, they're not there today. We have to consistently remind ourselves in the midst of all of this horrificness that's happening, why we're doing what we're doing. And it's difficult on days when you don't have that policy to point to yet, when you don't have that golden victory to point to yet. But there is victory in the movement that we're making. And can I just say this, just that victory in the movement, we have to learn to embrace small victories. We've done some, we've done some things in Tulsa. Oh, for sure. I mean, to force public hearings, they call them special meetings, to force the, 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 rank and file to sit through four hours of four meetings with the community, with the city council and be questioned mm-hmm. and, and for things to come out. We did that. Yeah. And I understand. We, we did that. Trust me. I understand. I guess I'm old school. To, I'm old school. And I come up in the era where black men were black, the Homer Johnson's, yes, my sir. daddy, all yes, of them went and they, they protested signs they got locked up and water holes down you know went down to the police and they really were just it was just hard like that you know what i mean because i think we be too soft and i sometimes if we too soft hey hey closed mouth don't get fed like the junes like the junes protests up here uh beauty supply i went up there and i was told i was too loud too voiceful don't man, oh, you gonna you gonna cause some disturbance. And everybody has you know? their own style. I, and style, I understand, I understand style the style. And doesn't mean that things aren't getting done because well, we may have a, a different style. I understand, but, but we've the made civil some progress. Rights, the civil rights movement took a variety of Absolutely. different. Ella people. Baker it was took, quiet. It took the NAACP, Malcolm X, Martin, uh, the Black Panthers, and you know SCLC. Yeah. It, yes. That movement t- it took. Everybody and doing different styles, you know. But you're, you're, the point that you're bringing up is a good one. I mean, there is there is a cost to the way that we're educating kids now. <laughs> there is a cost to the way that we're uh, demasculating men, uh, putting them in jail, met, uh, mentally crippling them. There's a cost to the stress that we're putting on the black woman having to be not only the spiritual head, but not an economic mm-hmm. head, mm-hmm. right? There's a there's a cost to those things. And so that's divide. Absolutely. And so I do want to elevate what you're saying. You're you're speaking to something there. There are not as there is not as ripe a crop. We 
a lot of what I do, quite frankly, is try to uh, bring people to a space where they can actually get mad again. Does that make like literally the first question that I ask you when I'm having a meeting with you is what makes you angry? Why? Because anger drives you to action. Well, think about this concept. What happens when you've been so oppressed mentally, physically, economically, that you and emotionally, and emotionally that mm-hmm. you don't even have permission to be angry about mm. your status in life. The fact of the matter is, is that the Homer Johnsons of the world, the Bobby Eaton seniors of the world, the Greg Robinson seniors, seniors of, the of the world, world. Yes. the Reverend Crutchers of mm-hmm. the world, mm-hmm. these are people who had possessed such a self-respect and a self-worth of dignity when they even sensed somebody even kind of coming at them crazy. Ooh. They couldn't, it couldn't stand it. Bubbled up Ooh, in them. Yes. It oh, bubbled yeah, up in them. Yes. I saw it. What happens after years and years and years and generations of saying you're not allowed to feel that because if you feel it, we're going to kill you or we're going to send you to jail? That's true. What happens? You people have to survive, and so I would rather be. It's you're the calling unity. me meek. It's the unity. Wait a minute, on an individual basis, mm-hmm. what I'm saying is, as an individual, I have a freedom. Okay, my I'm so blessed. I'm a. I say all the time, I'm the son of an accountant and an activist. Mm-hmm. People don't understand what I'm saying. That means I understand how to how to make money for myself and how to advocate for mm-hmm. myself, and I was given that permission. Mm-hmm. What happens when many of our kids that are now grow, have now grown up into men never got that? And so what we see as meekness, I see as survival. What they're saying is I'm going to stay as far away from danger as I possibly can so I can make it to the next day. We don't like to hear that. But that's the reality of the situation. When you go out there and really talk to these people mm-hmm. and in the public housing complexes mm-hmm. or the or the parents of some of these kids, it's not that they they love their kids, they got opinions about certain stuff, but hey bruh, I'm just trying to make it. Yeah. And I don't have no evidence of you being able to step out there and not get your neck cut off. Yep. Mm-hmm. I, I, the only evidence I see is if you if you ain't LeBron James, if you can't jump, if you can't make a rap song, mm-hmm. if you don't have value and and uh to the white man and are not willing to put your head down, it, you may get chopped off. That's the reality of the situation. And so I'm bringing that up to say, while it is true that we have lost things over the generations. I, I want to advocate for our people and say that it's still in there. Mm-hmm. It's still in mm-hmm. us. But right now, the way society is set up, it's not safe. We've been trained that it is not safe to bring that out. It is safer and more profitable for you as a black person, even with intelligence, to just learn how to play the white person's game and shut up. That's why you got most of your intelligent black folks they not out there uh, advocating and screaming like not this. They saying, hey, man, I made it like this. Y'all might need to figure out how to make it like this, too. I'm not questioning them. I'm not questioning their heart. I'm saying, I get it. You got to survive. That's the reality of what happens when we allow white supremacy to perpetuate itself. We keep blaming oppressed people for trying to survive. Survival just looks different now. 50 years ago, 
you was going to get killed in the street anyway, so you might as well fight back. Today, if you just shut up and lay under the radar, you might be okay. And you may get a good job you, and a good position. Come on now. And you may be on somebody's board, and you may get that grant. That's come on a, now. Yes, yes. It's profitable yes. to be quiet out here. It's in, profitable. In what way? Because as long as we keep status quo, so be quiet. Oh, be quiet. Oh, Mr. Eden. Okay, let me break something down. You know this, Mr. Eden. I know we're doing this for the people. So, mm-hmm. Mr. Eden, you wouldn't have a big studio right now mm-hmm. if you didn't approach your radio in a little different way. You mm-hmm. wouldn't have a big, beautiful studio. You wouldn't have somewhere. your van. Yeah. You wouldn't have that. Uh, oh, you know. I know you would. You yeah. would have that it's, van to mm-hmm. go on those trips with those kids. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, if, if, I, if I was to hush up, and wouldn't have these type shows, you know what I mean? Then oh, I could or use I it can, to promote a different type of use it to promote one. Toast. Hello, hello, Jim. How are you doing today? You know that's the reality of the situation. And I'm not knocking those of us out because people have different situations. People out there have children, especially black people. Let's let's take this economically. Uh, right now, the wealth gap is a hundred to one. Let me break this down for you. On average. For every dollar that you black man, black woman have, I don't care how educated you are. I don't care how many degrees you have. And I don't even care if you got it from Jackson State, Councilwoman Harper. <laughs> if you have a dollar, that white person that is in your same situation has a hundred of those dollars. That's what the wealth gap is. And so I'm pointing that out to say, I get it. When you can get that nice job and stay in that corporate space and not and, and need to be quiet to protect that and play that game, I can't knock you for it. And people say, well, the white person in the corporate world, they're not saying anything either. Correct, because the world is built for them. They don't have to say anything. What we're saying is, is that it's like being up in the penthouse, looking out and seeing your people starving. But you have to decide between saying something and getting kicked out the penthouse, potentially, right? Or trying to stay in the penthouse and figure out ways to maneuver and maybe but one day help them people. you ever forget while you're able, how you're able to even be in the penthouse. You can't. You know, because you, I'm mean, going to help you with something. You got in there on the backs of those who died enslaved so you can get in that penthouse. See, it's so often that we get in a position and we be quiet. We don't say nothing because we got the cars, we got the houses, look, we got, we got, but we're standing on the shoulders of those who gave us those opportunities to even be there. But what good am I? I understand what you're saying. Yeah, I'm just telling you, I'm and telling you the reality yeah, of life. But it's so often, you know, okay, it's like this. It's like this. I've talked to people. I'm just, and I'm not trying to demean anybody or right, absolutely. Like that, yeah. who have moved out to Broken Arrow yes, and Jinx yes, and Owasso and raised their kids in that environment. Yes, never, and children grow up never knowing any history of North Tulsa, even though they went to Booker T, they went to Central, yes, they went to McLean and all that, and they grew up in the environment of North Tulsa. So they are standing on the shoulders. Right. You know, of those black people who got them in that position to be where they at. Hey, if you went to Harvard Law School and you black or you went to uh, Purdue or any of those. It's because of W.B. Du Bois. It's because W.D. Du Bois and put it in. So you yeah. are obligated 
you are as a black person obligated to help your people in some kind of form or fashion. And if you're not doing that and you're just sitting back and, and re reaping uh, the wealth and everything that you got and saying, well, hey, I went to school. I got my education. I ain't going back over there. I ain't talking to these black people over there. I ain't trying to help a brother or sister come up. Yeah. You know what I mean? If you're not doing that, then what are you doing? I couldn't agree more with you. Uh, what are you doing I if you're not doing it? Tiffany, you came back. Yeah. All that you got, you could be down in Alabama not doing nothing, living in your big old fancy house. You know, you don't have to be out here on these streets and stuff like that. Greg, you don't have to do that. You've been back here for a year. I could just kick back, not have a radio station, and be even able to talk about any of that. But we are... We are, those of us who have some type of accomplishments or something in life are standing on the shoulders of those who came before us. And if we ignore that, because see, we're the only race that I know of that really don't give back to their own people. Hispanics do it. Asians do it. White people do it. Everybody takes care of their own. But we're consumers. We got stuff going out. Always well, going out, but but nothing coming in. Gentrification taking place, moving well, off in here, taking over. They ain't giving nothing back to our community. We're not educating our young, you know, and stuff in our neighborhood. So that is a big issue. Those are big issues that take place. I talked to the general manager up here uh, at Quick Trip, the regional manager. Quick Trip, number one Quick Trip in the in, in the country, right up here, Pine and Peoria. Number one, but are they giving anything back to the community to help them be number one? They're not doing these things like that. So you have to educate these people and these these, these bourgeois uppity folks who don't want to, oh, I'm not going to look at oh, where I come from. I ain't going back to Vernon Manor. I ain't going back over to Comanche. I came from over there, but I ain't putting nothing back in. Hey, man, the hell with them. Well, you know, and that's the way I feel. Less you know, I, you're supposed to give back and help your people. Let's, and, and here's the the fact of the matter is that people do what profit them. Black, white, orange, blue, pink. People do what profit them. And so the opportunity actually that we have with here in the Mecca, the home of Black Wall Street, is look to say let's let's play a numbers game real quick. I'm gonna paint this picture for you because it's gonna happen over this next five years. You're gonna see it. We can remember that we talked about it on the show. <laughs> yeah, it's recorded. We are gonna use this 100 year anniversary, which I will say that. Uh, we're going to use this 100-year anniversary to rebuild Black Wall Street uh, culturally, uh, socially, and economically. Now, watch what happens. Take those folks who have their whole lives in North Tulsa. Grandma was in North Tulsa. School is in North Tulsa. Anytime they actually want to get something to eat, it's in North Tulsa. But they live in Broken Arrow, Owasso. Even the ones who wish they could live here. They send their kids out to go to school here, but they can't afford a, a house right now or uh, the level of apartments don't exist out north for them to live. They're living in 91st, 81st, 71st. Now watch what happens. When we, in partnership with the city of Tulsa, because we know that they're operating in good faith and want to rebuild with us uh, Black Wall Street for people of color, we know how to live together. Okay, this is the way this works. Middle class white folks don't live with white people that don't have no money. Black people live together regardless. So we are going to build a situation where we've gotten our cultural history back when you combine the Black Wall Street Memorial, 
we're going to find a way to expand the Greenwood Cultural Center. Uh, you see what they're doing with the uh, Legacy Museum down there. Uh, we're going to reclaim uh, the, the areas of Greenwood and have businesses there, and we're going to do it through the Main Street program. And then we're going to take the developments that the city is finally giving back to the community uh, through the Greenwood Heritage uh, and Kirkpatrick Heights plan. And when you look over uh, to the east and see the BMX Park, and we're going to start building state-of-the-art uh, mixed-income homes, but it's going to be in recruitment of black people who have the money to do that and are not afraid to live amongst people of I, multiple you know, I different think, types I think of economy. Hold on, let me finish. Now. Everything that you said yeah. right there, everything that you said right there, I we can understand. To, we ha- what, we you have know, to but sell. At the same time, what happens out? What happens out deep north? Tell me, tell right. me what happens out 46th Street, uh, deep north, McLean, out there with those blacks out in that area. Because I guarantee you, when you start doing a lot of development, like what you just said, white folks are come because they want Greenwood. They want it. They want it as much as they can get. They're gonna come. They're gonna come down there and try to take over a lot of that. Bobby, that's why. That's why it's just as important for us to market this. This is this is America. It's about competition. This is what I'm saying to you. If black people stamp something, white people have already told you they don't like being around you. Use it to your advantage then. I'm, you're absolutely right they want the prime territory. That's why they burned it down and tried to take it systemically, right? What I'm saying is this is a war. We have tools, too. Yeah, we the do. Tool that we I I'm agree. I'm, I'm in agreement right. with and what so you're saying the with reason, the reason that I'm so that I'm so passionate about that particular area is you don't get to have our honey hole and tell us to move deeper north. No. If we deeper north, fine. But we're also going to be right here where we supposed to have been this entire time. And it's incredibly important because anytime you think about economics, you have to have economic hubs. And so it's incredibly important to rebuild uh, North Tulsa in a way that is uh, congruent and has a plan. But for so long, we've been having white folks determine the plan. And they, that's why they built it in the way that they built it. it you, when you go look at North Tulsa, it's not even built in a way you have designers coming down and saying, wow, they intentionally built this for it to make entirely no sense. And so I'm saying that we have an opportunity here to stamp. We can't run away from it and say, I'll just let the white folks have it. I'm just not willing to do that. My money as a middle-class black person. And, is see, what but, but, and, and I'm not to cut you off, but I'm not cut you off. I understand. And I agree with what you're saying. But until you educate your people about what you're trying to do, see that's a pro- that's, well, that's why what I'm trying to do right here. Well, see that's why it's in the shape that it's in right now. That's why it's in the shape, and white folks have come down there, OSU, then took it over and stuff like that. that I, I was just down there today. Chief came by and told me that they were digging up, building, getting ready to build a nursing school down there on Greenwood. They are coming in and doing what they want to do on our property that we didn't keep and we let urban removal come down which was urban removal come down and tear down grandma's and them businesses and stuff and we gave it up we gave it up we said hey what you going the, the the healy foundation is coming down there for the uh what is it the um yeah the museum the museum white folks 
They're the ones that's doing all of that. White folks are coming. BMX, white folks. Everything, white folks. You know, right. until we get some black folks to come down there and build on some of our property that we own economically, then, hey, we're going to be subject to what white folks are going to do. Well, hey, I, uh, I didn't want to always go there, but hey, joining us is uh, Brother Chief. What's going on with you, man? I'm just listening to it. Yeah, yeah. So we we, we just going in because we have passion for our people. Right. And that's why we have so much passion and love for our people that uh, we're just talking about the issues. Now, we can always agree to disagree, whatever it's going to be. But, you know, we want to get there. I'm, I understand everything Greg is saying right here. I really do. But I also understand that white society here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, they want Greenwood. But we, I, and they I, want it. I hear it, and I'm just not. I'm telling you, I, they but, want but it. We just talked about how black people have not stood up and said what they want. I don't care what white people want. I'm mm-hmm. telling you what I want, and that's why their blood well, cries what out. We, what we want. That, what we want, right? We. And so, Listen, though, yeah. that's why their blood cries out is so critically important to say, why, why do we why do we have ownership of that area? In my brain, I'm already saying that's our I never let that go. The, the blood of the ancestors said that is our land. So when I talk about it, yes, I disregard what white people want. I'm not going to think about what you want in my house. No, I'm going to say this is what I want in my house. And reparations are owed for that exact reason. You stole from me. You murdered me. You're a thief and a robber. And I and agree. The, and so I agree it is for me, that. it's critically important for us to start singing in harmony. That's our land. This is what we want on it. And not only reparations, but reclamation. We need mm-hmm. to reclaim we need to reclaim That's the it. acres that OSU Tulsa That's currently it. owns right now. It That's what I'm saying. Yeah. You know, that what I'm saying. To I mean, us. Yeah, so, shoot, you so, got OETA. Uh, and so you all are yeah. saying, OSU. The same we're saying the same thing. thing. It's exactly. a battle. It's yeah, a so battle. We got to re- 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 reclaim that. And your passion have you to the point to where you just see it and can't stand it. Because, see, the city of Tulsa, they have plans for development years out. They already knew. They knew they were going to bring that. Uh, freeway through Greenwood years ago. That ain't nothing they just did. I'm talking about real a lot of years ago. They knew that was going to happen. They knew OSU was going to come down there and buy that property up and claim all that and destroy the culture and the history and just leave you a little bit of of Greenwood down there, you know, Black Wall Street, a few little buildings. And so when we talk about reparations and reclamation, that's why this, this virtual form, which is why we're here tonight. I know we had to get that first hour Ooh, out. And, yeah, we did. I mean, it was therapeutic. I appreciate it. Um, but this this form that's going to take place on, on Sunday. Tell us about the it. The 99th anniversary of the Tulsa Race Massacre. I'm going to let, I mean, the chief has entered the building. Chief. <laughs> Man, what do you, you know, think I'm about it? I'm in therapy. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think about I'm it, brother? I'm in therapy bro? right now. Um, Pull that microphone up to it's your mouth. It's a lot to digest. I'm I, right now. I'm I, I, I'm connected right at the hip. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, I'm in therapy right now. But um, we got a lot 
we got a lot about to happen, right? We're getting ready to resuscitate some old ideas with new stat, uh, new strategy, right? That's good. That's good. So this um, this reparations forum, virtual forum that is about to occur, is like this is we're just igniting the the stick of dynamite. Right. This is just the ignition, not the explosion. Um, a lot of people are helping with this. Uh, Greg is going to be the moderator for this uh, magnificent event. And we got some major organizations that are participating in this process, some major people who are participating in this process, uh, including the Human Rights, Human Rights Watch, ACLU and uh, the Crutcher Foundation and some other organizations that are helping out with this Let's African Ancestral Society. NARC. NARC. Uh, you know, just a lot of other supporters. Who, Medcares yeah, Foundation. Medcares Foundation. Our District 1 City Counselor, yes. who this was kind of yes. her vision. Yes. Representative oh, wow. Regina Goodwin. That's right. That's right. Uh, pastor of Historic Vernon AME Church. That's our right. MLK, Dr. Robert Turner. Love uh, Tur- Pastor Turner. Yeah. Uh, uh, Brian uh, Stevenson, right. the the author of Just Mercy yeah. and the executive director of the um, Equal Justice Initiative. Congresswoman Sheila Jackson right. Lee. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we have some heavyweight local artists. You know, uh, Rick Quincy, Quincy. I yeah. mean, yeah. Nikichi, um, I can't think of her name, but she's a civil rights attorney. Right. Um, Dr. Ron Daniels, who actually ran for the president of the United States as an independent. People yeah. don't know that. Yeah. Right. We're, we're right. amongst great. Yeah, <laughs> right. Ron Daniels. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that dynamite you're talking about is it's powerful. Low. Yeah. You know, and we wanted early on, we wanted people to understand that this is not just. For us, it's very personal, right? It's extremely personal. And it is really an opportunity to say we started in our house first. We wanted to clean up our own house before we went out into the nation, right? And our own, if we can do that collectively, which is the spirit of Black Wall Street, right? Let's start one house. There you go. Then once we finish cleaning up this house, we'll go clean up somebody else's house, right? And that's the concept. We look at this like, I look at it like Johnny Cochran did. Johnny Cochran said, if we can get reparations in Tulsa, we can get reparations in the whole nation, right? Because it's like the outline. It it sets the precedence for Mm -hmm. what we're trying to do Mm -hmm. here. Uh, We want people to understand that this is not a, we're not doing this in theory. We're not doing this from for for academics, right? This is actually a movement that we're trying to put into place, put into action so that we can actually manifest something from this effort, from this work, because, most people don't – a lot of energy died after the Supreme Court decision, right? A lot of momentum that was built up and people opening up their, you know, their, their memory banks and opening up their hearts and sharing stories. We're not, and I really thought about that, and I said, you know, we're talking about children who went into a deep, sacred, secret place and said, I'm going to share with the world what I experienced, what's been silenced inside of me. For decades. Mm. And I pray that you actually do something with it. That's a hell of a responsibility. Yes, it is. Right? It's a hell of an obligation. It's a it's a privilege even to take on that role. And this this virtual showdown, this virtual show up is really important for the community. It's really Im- important for the nation because we get an opportunity to bring all these voices together. 
and figure out the best strategy for us to tackle the idea of reparations, reclamation, uh, uh, restoration, you know, all of these things that are symbolic and meaningful when you talk about the idea of reparations, to repair something, to repair an old damage. So I just really hope that, you know, people across the nation will tune in, show up, get prepared, get educated, and figure out, understand not just that we're owed reparations, but why we haven't gotten it, mm-hmm. right, from a legal perspective, from a political perspective, and really dig in deep so that we can, can really empower ourselves to mm-hmm. do more than just talk about the issue. So that's what, you know, that's about the happening. issue. Yeah. Okay. Well, hey, it sounds all good to me. Sounds all, hey, we just have passion, and that passion has us driving for our people by any means necessary. We're just trying to figure it all out. It's like a puzzle. Yeah. You know, we got this puzzle and we're all trying to put it together to make it happen for mm-hmm. our people because we love our people. We care about our people and, you know, the progress of our people. We need that economic development and stuff. That be, You know, it was a time when I remember when I was growing up, you know, I'm, I'm a lot older than, than most of you guys. And uh, I remember when my dad would make us work. You had to paint. You had to saw. You had to do plumbing. You had to dig ditches, even when you didn't want to, you know. And I think we've gotten away from building in our communities, building. We got so much vacant land. That's why a lot of whites are coming back over here and they're buying up our property, buying up Grandma's house and, and Auntie Susie's place. And then we're they're moving out into apartments and paying seven, eight, nine hundred dollars a month, you know what I mean, for an apartment because they moved out of grandma's house because it needed a roof when they could have kept that. And then the Hispanics come into our community and they get up and they re roof it, they buy it and they move into it. You know. So we need to get back to economic development in our community. Not because the quick trips and the the Burger Kings and all of them, they coming. You know, until we can stop them from coming and start our own, like a Max Wings and some other places like that, or Wanda J's or something like that, to get more economic development and support our people. Yeah, Greg said something that's very powerful and important. Um, And it's probably the most important aspect of the conversation, and that's a plan, right? We, We fail because we don't put plans in place. There you go. So we can activate on our ideas, right? So, like, I'll give you a good example. One of my pet peeves is I hate going into a meeting and hearing people say, why don't we, we upset because South Tulsa, North Tulsa don't look like South Tulsa. But then when South Tulsa development comes into North Tulsa, we, get upset. we upset, we right? upset behind it. Because we didn't have a plan when we asked for what we asked for. It's one of those things where they say, be careful what you ask for because you just might get it. Mm-hmm. It's that kind of thing. And we got to be very critical. Think critically when we make these when we, when we make these requests. It should even be a request, actually. It should be us saying, just like we did with B.C. Franklin. When the city came with their money, we said, okay, look. We're going to tell you what we want with our tax there you dollars. Go. There you go. Not you implement your ideas and your plans. We'll put our own plan That's together. It. So let's let's hold up on that. We know what the, we know how much money we got to work with. We have a, let us brainstorm and think about our own plan and what we could do with that same amount of money if we had our own way. 
So we simply said, let's take custody. Let's take custody of our tax dollars and utilize it in a way that's that's beneficial to our well-being. And because we don't nobody know our community like we know our community. That's true. We are observing the movements and the actions. Look, we got, we saying, look at the community. You got Booker T, you got Kip, you got all of this stuff in this community. Two grade A schools. Now let's go and build a grade A park. Let's do what we want and make it make it hospitable, make it make it um, beneficial to every citizen in that community, mm-hmm. and add some history to it. Mm-hmm. Why you at it, right? So we get in a, we we just simply use that as a small a small example Absolutely. of what we could do on a large scale. So we took one neighborhood association and said if we could get that neighborhood association together and let the community back them, let them put their plan and plan in place, we can show the rest of the North Tulsa what's possible. So if we can do a park with a small group of people, imagine if we got, got together collectively, used our tools, used our strategy, used our brain power, used our economic power, and we said, Based on the plan that we have put together, right? Because we know 36th Street Corridor is about to happen. So how do we invest? We find brothers like who are into real estate, brothers who are buying up property. And we say, okay, we need you to get ready for what's getting ready to happen on 36th Street North Mm -hmm. because they're getting ready to tear out Comanche and they're going to develop a residential area. How can you invest in that and make money? So we bring in people who are already doing that work. And we're saying, let's utilize all of these resources that we have, because we spend most of our time begging to get, help them get contracts. But if we put a plan together, they are ahead of the game. They already know what's getting ready to get implemented. We need just persons to do all of the landscape. We need contracts. Right, because they're getting ready to make Pine and Peoria. Yeah. They want that, what they call it, uh, Main Street, that Main Street image, like they did with Pine and Peoria. That's what they want 36th Street North to look like. Yeah, exactly. Right? But who's going to get the contracts? Who's going to be working and doing the investment? Who's going to... Who's go, who understands the plan? Who understands the idea? What is the 36th Street Corridor? And you know what they'll do is they'll give those contracts to those contractors who are licensed with the licensing. I you have to jump mean? in and just mm-hmm. give a shout out to our District 1 City Councilor who is working her butt off to make sure that there's space and opportunities yes, for the black contractors in this city. She's actually created yeah. the Black Contractors mm-hmm. uh, Association. Black mm-hmm. Con- that's right. And, and, and they've become members of the Black Wall Street Chamber of Commerce. Absolutely. Greg, Greg you can piggyback off of me. So we, we, as you said, we have to educate our community on mm-hmm. what's happening. There's mm-hmm. actually a lot going on behind the scenes. And, and please believe, uh, Vanessa doesn't do anything without making sure she runs it by her community. Right. That's why we want you to come to her town halls, mm-hmm. her monthly town halls. That's why... She has a Black Wall Street Chamber of Commerce meeting uh, every month, and, and she's trying to get out. I don't care if you're a small business, a sole proprietor, or, or if you have a huge uh, business. She wants you there. She's trying to create space for all of us, no matter what level we're mm-hmm. on. And she's fighting for these contracts for black people in this city. You know, I, uh, I talked to Kaiser, and uh, they're the ones with their project down there, you know. And I asked them, I said, how many of those jobs that you're going to have down there are going to go to the community? They say over a thousand jobs, you know. And my thing is, whenever you're dealing with systematic development, economic development, you can almost guarantee that your supervisors and all your people who are going to be down, they're going to come from Sky to Broken Arrow, driving in there and stuff like that. So I'm saying this, that if we don't fight for those jobs, 
You know, because there's a lot of brothers and sisters need those gigs. They're going to be coming down there. They're going to need that work. You know what I mean? The contractors like Carl Walker sitting over here when the development of uh, building those new new uh, development and stuff, well, they're going to need that, but they got to be licensed. That's going to, that's, that's the thing that's going to keep them out. And, and what you're speaking to, and, and that's why I can speak with such confidence is that um, I'm working within a strategy as a, a, act, strategy? a strategy, you know, you hear about, a lot of people say, well, activists, all they do is stand out in the street corner and such and such. Okay, well, you can believe that if you want to. <laughs> but we're working within a strategy. And so uh, the fact of the matter is, is that I've been in the meetings with Kaiser and with the companies that are coming. And I've heard the city councilor, the head of the uh, Black Wall Street Chamber of Commerce, uh, black leaders in a lot of different spaces advocate exactly what you're saying and literally say to the CEO of these companies, play us if you want mm-hmm, to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm saying that because that's the power of having our own organizations. We're not there yet. I'm not saying that we're there, but I'm saying that uh, my, my, my sister mother, Miss Christy Williams said to me the other day, she said, Greg, I know you're always here when, uh, when you take one step, God take two. She said, Greg, right now, the ancestors taking three. And what I felt from her was to say, as long as we tap in to the spirit right now, the the people that are coming into this city, mm-hmm. being able to bridge uh, the, the voices of the elders, the knowledge of the elders with mm-hmm. the energy of the young That's folks, right. um, with the strategies uh-huh. of, of some of our brilliant minds, with the political power of the people that now are taking over office. It's allowing us to start rebuilding. And so what I'm saying is when I see uh, Greenwood Leadership Academy over there in the corner start, Mm -hmm. and when I see the Black Wall Street Chamber of Commerce start, and then Mm -hmm. I see Terrence Crutcher Foundation start, and I see Metcare's Foundation, and I see KBOB (laughs) 89.9 FM start, I start getting excited because I'm saying that's okay that you don't see it right now. But now we have tools to combat these things. What would scare me, Bobby, is if you were saying what you were saying and we didn't have a vehicle to combat that. Right. But we do. And so even when you say and everything you said was 100 percent true earlier, where I'm coming from is saying it's true, but we have vehicles to combat it. And so for me, um, the. The power and the responsibility, the fight is to make sure that we are educating folks, not just on the issues, but on the vehicles that Mm -hmm. we need them to get in. Mm -hmm. So right now, as a black contractor, the reason that the Black Contractors Association started is because it was at a actually a Vanessa's town hall meeting Mm -hmm. that she sets up and has monthly. Mm -hmm. The black contractors came. She brought uh, several companies who were starting to build buildings downtown and in North Tulsa. Mm-hmm. And the black contractor said, you know, we need to be a part of this. And your exact point about licensing came up. You know what happened in that meeting? Uh, following that meeting, there was a conversation about we definitely need to get the licensing done. Mm-hmm. So, boom, we set up a pathway mm-hmm. for them to get licensing. Mm-hmm. And the black contractors need a space for them to yeah. advocate. So it was born. And so it's out of that sort of organization and collaboration that the answers to these questions the tools to fight these battles exist. Um, and so I, I'd want to just echo 
what happens when you have a counselor like Vanessa Hall Harper, but what happens when the community, as it is doing, begins to come together with a little bit of help from our ancestors, we're going to get there. Yes. Yeah, we're going to get there. Absolutely. Well, we're going to take a little break, and we're going to come right back. You're on the Bobby Eaton Show where we tell our stories our way. Hey, Greg Robertson, Chief, Tiffany Crutcher, we're going to add Carl Walker to the conversation right after this, and uh, we're going to be right back, so stick around.
Oh, yeah, you're on the Bobby Eaton Show where we tell our stories our way every Monday, Wednesday, 6 p.m. Central Standard Time, and on Saturdays from 12 to 2. Oh, man, this is where the information goes down. All right. Back in the studio, Tiffany Crutcher, Chief, Brother Chief, Greg Robinson. Tiffany, tell us a little bit about what's going on and what's taking place. Okay. So, well, as we stated earlier in the segment, uh, this Sunday we're uh, commemorating the 99th anniversary of the Tulsa Massacre of 1921, and uh, there's a lot going on, a lot going on, but we are, uh, myself and uh, these freedom fighters I'm sitting with, African Ancestral Society, Chief Amason, Greg Robinson, and the Metcares Foundation, Christy Williams will be featured, Representative Regina Goodwin, District 1 City Council Vanessa Hall Harper, Solomon Simmons Law, Attorney Demario Solomon Simmons, along with our national partners. Oh, I can't forget Historic Vernon AME, Dr. Robert Turner, and then um, Human Rights Watch, ACLU, ACLU Oklahoma, the National African American Reparations Commission, Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee, and our dear friend, Mr. Brian Stevenson with the Equal Justice initiative author of Just Mercy movie came out earlier this year. We will be hosting the first virtual reparations conference stating the case for reparations for Tulsa and uh, pushing H.R. 40, which has been on the table since John Conyers. Um, they revised uh, that that bill and uh, Sheila Jackson Lee took it on and, and NARC and they're going around the country stating this case you know, sharing with people why we need reparations, why we deserve reparations. And uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma is the blueprint. I believe if we can get it here, as Chief just stated, I mean, it's just the microcosm of, of, of the bigger picture. And so I'll let Greg touch on it a little bit more, but I'm super duper excited. Greg will be uh, moderating yes, yes. Uh, the local panel. It's going to be powerful. I had the opportunity to sit in on, on the uh, run of show, the run through. And I'm just excited for the, the the world, the nation. This is going to be a nationwide conference to, to learn about what happened right here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, because believe it or not, people don't know. And a lot of people tell me I'm just ashamed that I didn't learn about it. And I, I always tell them, don't be ashamed because I didn't know. Yeah. I made it all the way to college. Well, it was America's best kept secret. Yeah. Made it all the way yeah. to college and didn't know. And I would tell people where I'm from and they would say Black Wall Street. And I'm like, what are they talking well, you about? You know why, don't you? Because a lot of the blacks after the massacre didn't want to talk about it because Absolutely. they didn't want it to happen again. Absolutely. My great grandmother never talked about it. And when they she, didn't she want whispered. It, they didn't want it to happen again. So the grandmother grandmothers and grandfathers just kept it hush. Don't we don't talk about that right there. Bobby, I'm gonna give y'all a preview if you'd allow me. Go ahead. Um, as a yeah. matter of fact, I'm gonna use you. Okay. Uh oh. I'm so I'm gonna take your chair for a second okay. if you don't mind. Go ahead. Um Growing up in this community, do you, can you remember back to when you really learned the story of Greenwood? What what did it mean to you? Well, for me, now I'm speaking for myself. Absolutely, absolutely. With me having the kind of dad that I had yeah. Yeah. in this barbershop over here, you know how it happens in the yeah. barbershop? I knew at a very early age. Yes, sir. You know, whereas when I mentioned it to my friends and stuff, they knew nothing about it. They knew nothing. I said, we'd we be down on Greenwood because I got the end of Greenwood. I was down at the Rex Theater and all that walking. I said, man, don't you know they white folks blew this place up? They didn't know. 
You know, oh, man, you talk, you know, white folks blue. You know, they didn't really believe it. A lot of blacks didn't believe it back in those days, my age, you know, but it came out, it finally came out. Now it's the talk of the town. What did it do for you, though? I'm talking about you. What did what it, it did for, for me is it gave me a sense of strong uh, believing in what racism was all about. Hmm. That's what it did for me. Because my daddy was, was you know, he was so pro-black and so so militant and stuff, him and Homer Johnson, and it gave me, it started making me militant mm-hmm. in that way. You know, it, it, it uh, how can these people come over to my community and blow it up? That's what I felt in my spirit as a young man. And I used to hear it all the time, constantly. Uh, racism. They say, they used to, my, my daddy and me say, we can't be racist. And I say, we can't be racist, daddy? He says, no, in order to be racist, you got to have power. Then I said, yeah, but he said, we can be prejudiced, but we can't be racist. So I said, those little things like that, and it made me get a sense. You know, I had, I had an inferior, I, I had a complex when I was coming up because I was light-skinned. I was the light-skinned black. I was always the lightest thing around, <laughs> walking around, you know what I mean? You go to the football games. And you look up in the stands, you're looking for something. Okay, now you see where Bobby is right up there. Go down a couple of, you know, that's that's the way it was. Yes, you know what I mean? And so I, I was like, they were saying, say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud. And I was feeling like, okay, feeling funny. But my daddy had to explain to me what being black was that's all right. about. That's right. You know, and then that, you know, that, that part of me started feeling a certain way, you know what I mean, about me and my people. You know, and I understand that in America, he says, well, Americans, blacks, we're like a bouquet of flowers. We're all shades, colors and everything because the melanin had been infiltrated, you know, by white blood and stuff like that. But you're still black. So I had to understand all of that, you know, in my teaching, whereas I knew it because it was taught to me at a young age. But it was a whole lot that didn't know anything about it. Now. We talk often about the economics, and I hear a lot about the doctors and the lawyers, but there was theaters on Greenwood oh, as well. Oh, definitely. Mm-hmm. You, you, are a, you are in entertainment. Mm-hmm. Can you take us back and talk to us a little bit about some of the inspirations? Uh, well, the when I was coming up as a young man, there were a great, iconic entertainers who would come down there. And perform Ray Charles, Ike and Tina Turner, Bobby Blue Bland, BB Kings. <laughs> all of them was coming down on Greenwood. Duke Ellington's band, all of the historic Cab Calloway, all of those people were coming down on Greenwood and performing and eating in the restaurants and things like that. You know, we would go to the uh, movie theater, which the Rex Theater was there, and we go there. Hey, ten cent to get in, twenty five cent. Get in there, get your hot links and stuff like that. Sometime if you were cutting up in the movie theater, they had this guy in a white jacket with a flashlight. He come down there and put you out. You know what I mean? So, you know, it was it was a place to be reckoned with. I would go down there. I knew on Mondays my uh, the barbershops were closed, and I would go down there. My grandfather would be in the pool hall, sh- just racking them up, shooting them down. You know, he'd be shooting them down, man, with that cigar hanging out of his mouth. You know, so. Uh, for me, that was the end of Black Wall Street, you know, and I got a chance to at least get some of that because, mm-hmm. you know, they be, they rebuilt Black yeah. Wall Street, 
you know, after everything, but it was such an experience to see black businesses and black people interacting with black stuff, you know, and that was, and for that whole mile. See, now we talk about Greenwood mm-hmm. all the time, but we never talk about Lansing. I'm telling you, mm. Lansing yeah. was at movie theaters. It had hotels. It had pool halls and everything else, and nightclubs on Lansing, mm-hmm. all down Lansing. Huh? Grocery stores, everything on Lansing. I used to go to the Regal Theater over there. You know, a little boy, I'm like, wow. I mean, it was thriving in those those blocks mm-hmm. right there. That was so thriving. And I was saying to myself, wow, it's not here anymore. And you know? and that's that's what I'm interested in. What what does that feel like? Uh, Man, it you- felt it felt good. It felt so good. That it just felt good, man, to see your people all up and down the strip having fun. Nobody wasn't shooting and killing each other and hitting anybody in the head or, or robbing. Now, they had their little stuff yeah. down on Deep Greenwood down there. But, you know, but for the most part, it just felt good. Man, you're going down to Greenwood. We're going down on Greenwood this, mm-hmm. this weekend. You know, we're going to the movie theater. they showing so-and-so and so-and-so. That's what it felt like, Greg. And have we have uh how did it feel as you look back now? How does it feel when you as you look back now and it's not there? It's sad for me. It's very sad for me because when I, I've been back four years now, mm-hmm. you know, and I've been knowing about how it's set up because I pop in and out. But now that I am here on a uh consistent basis, I said, Man, it just this feels rough. You know, and I go in front of the culture center and I see the little monument right there. And I'm saying to myself, wow, man, is this is all we got right here? I see the Greenwood Chamber of Commerce dysfunctional. I mean, just dysfunctional. Yeah. You know, they don't they're not doing commerce. They don't even understand commerce. And I see stuff like that taking place. And I see a few black businesses down there doing okay like the Wanda J's and things like that. But it's 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 kind of still sad because yeah. we don't go down there. We don't go down on Greenwood unless there's something happening on Greenwood. For the most part, Driller Stadium is down there and white folks is down there all the time. They're doing what they're doing all the time. So we need some more economic development down there to bring us down there. We need some more restaurants and some more stuff like that, you know. And so that's what Greenwood feels to me. I yeah. just I just believe we just and we can't like you said, we can't lose it. We got some weapons or that we need to fight. What's amazing about what's gonna happen on Sunday is that as a as a child of North Tulsa like I am, uh getting the opportunity to ask those sorts of questions to uh, the representative Regina Goodwins, mm-hmm. whose family history goes as far back as Oklahoma goes back. Oh, for sure. Uh, to ask these mm-hmm. questions to the likes of attorney, attorney Demario Solomon yes. Simmons, who stood with Charles Ogletree and, mm-hmm. and John Hope Franklin uh, in the fight uh, at the Supreme Court uh, for the just due reparations. Mm-hmm. To have these conversations with uh, the pastor of the historic Vernon AME Church, who has reinvigorated and re-inspired that area um, 
to have the conversations with uh, our our leaders of today, the the Christy Williamses and the uh, Councilwoman Vanessa Harper, who share a kinship. What's amazing and what you'll hear if you tune in on Sunday is that all of those people coming from different perspectives, coming from different parts of the country, all share a literal kinship mm-hmm. back sure. to a ancestor mm-hmm. that was affected by the 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 Tulsa race massacre. And yeah. so it's a uh, Bobby, I mean, I just enjoy right there. I learned so much just mm-hmm. right there. And so it's a it's a must tune in for anyone who is trying to really understand what the race massacre significance is in 2020 yes. in this push to get us back to that promised land. Mm-hmm. Um, the the injustice that was done, not just to the, the black folks in Tulsa, but to black people in America. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's, I, I, man, I, I, it, you, you don't, don't want to miss it. It's a wonderful conversation. We're going to be having uh, conversations just like that one. And we're going to make the case for reparations uh, on Sunday, May 31st, the 99th anniversary. 99th anniversary, huh? At 6 p.m. Okay. And you can go Tune in, in on Facebook. Reserve okay. you a spot. You know, let us know you're going. You can actually find the link on my website, TerrenceCrutcherFoundation.org. Mm-hmm. That's one R T E R E N C E CrutcherFoundation.org, and and click on that uh, event link and uh, let us know you'll be there. Okay. Hey, let's go to the phone lines right quick. I think we got a caller right here. Area code nine one eight six three three. You're on the Bobby Eaton show. Hey, Bobby. Hey, Tiffany. Um, hey, Greg. This is Adoni. Um, hey, I, I, Hey. Yeah, I, I wanted to speak uh, to the issue. Uh, Greg asked a question about what we remember when we were growing up, Bobby. And we yeah. had these things. We had the bowling alley. We had miniature golf. We had movie theaters. We had all of that. It wasn't on Greenwood, but it was in North Tulsa on Apache. Oh, and, my and Lansing and all around. But uh, what I remember, of course, I was a teenager and we were growing up, so we kind of took it for granted that, you know, because our parents did keep us, even though we were living in segregation, they kept us in a bubble most of the time about the horrors of, you know, whites only and blacks only. So we really didn't know about that. That's why a lot of us, um, Tiffany, your mom and I, and we, you know, we, we grew up and went off to college and, and we found out about Black Black Wall Street. Uh, but um, we took for granted the businesses that we had and in the ploy to take the dollars out of our neighborhood, out of our community, um, Sheridan Lanes. My dad had Apache Lanes right there on Apache. Wow. And I remember I used standing to go there. in the doorway. Yeah, I remember standing in the doorway seeing our people picket. Uh, that they were that that they didn't want to bowl at Apache Lanes anymore. They wanted to go to Sheridan. So we have a sickness within the community that we have to heal. That we have to stand up and recognize that we were bamboozled and everything with uh, about supporting, about having the attitude of supporting. Now I have uh, created uh, two years ago. I created the North Thompson Black Business Directory, which is nothing but businesses north of Archer, all the way to. Turley, you know, all the way. 
So we have over 300 businesses. Right now it has 44,000 visitors to that website for that directory. So there are people that are using it, but people don't know about it. So, um, uh, you know, we do have businesses that we can support. We have businesses in North Tulsa we can support. But our attitude about supporting North business has to be healed. So that's what I'm hoping that, um, you know, on the 31st that we can come to grips with. Um, you know, with this is that we have to come to grips with um, not only supporting it, but believing and trusting in our own businesses. Wow. That's so that's right. what yeah, I, was, we I just wanted to address. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good, that's good feedback. Thank you, Adoni. It, it really reminds me of Homer Johnson when they wanted to develop, when they went to develop Springdale Shopping Center. And Homer said, look, we need a, we need our own mall. We need our own shopping strips. Let's build one so wonderful, so nice that white folks would even want to go sp- come spend their money in North Tulsa. And they built it. I mean, they built it and it, it thrived. You know, when those those men, they were, they got together and did it together. Mm-hmm. This, I mean, it wasn't a whole lot of them, but they yeah. got together. They saw their own issues in the community. Uh, if you would cutting up over there on the street, way over there, and something was going on, you beating up your wife, they go over there and Jacked you up, and they wouldn't even call the police. Yeah. They do it themselves. They would go, Homer Johnson and my daddy and all of them would go down to the mayor's office. Homer would put his feet up on the mayor's desk. I remember that story. That's how cold it was, story. man. They had fear. You know, my dad was in a, and I keep talking about my dad because he's he's one of the last you soldiers yeah. of that generation. They had a civil rights uh, thing out at, uh, what is that, South OSU? What is that out there? Or are you? How fine? What is it called? You know what I'm talking about. Oh, you Tulsa out there. It was Mayor LaFortune, Roger Randall, uh, 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 Dewey Bartlett, Judy McIntyre, uh, uh, um, uh, Henderson was out there. It was, uh, they were all on the panel, and and my daddy was on there because they had invited him. They're doing civil rights, talking about the civil rights movement. A bunch of white folks out in the audience. few black folks were there. And, uh, you know, my, my dad, he made me so proud because Roger Randall got up to introduce my dad. And he says, this next gentleman I'm getting ready to introduce, when we heard his name, we all got scared. Mm. You know what I mean? And white people would get scared when he come in the room. Because him and Homer, they were the Malcolm X's. They fought. They didn't care. So they stood for civil rights. They didn't care. You know what I mean? They were just, and they know they were articulate. They know how to talk. And they had, they would get angry. If they got angry, they got angry. You know. You know, Chief, you know, he's being in that little house in the back. Mm -hmm. And they were the kind of men who stood for rights, civil rights. Uh, Your dad, Greg, your dad, Ray Freeman, uh, uh, Percy Perry, mm-hmm. uh, are you just named, let's go them Cornelius brothers, Red and Cobra Cornelius. Yeah. They were the ones going to jail. Don't forget the vans. They, the vans, yeah. they were going, it was so many of them. Yeah. And they were the men who were men. They weren't just males, they were men. Mm-hmm. And they stood for their people. They fought for their people. If anything was to happen, if they would have been here in this day and time when this happened to Terrence, could you imagine the outcome of it? Man, they would have been on and popping. Yeah. Trust me, they'd have been on TV every, every, every day, all day. 
you know, locked up down in them cells down there. You know, Greg, Greg in a lot of ways reminds me of of Homer because he's a he's a genuine strategist, and he was smart. Like I, I say that because you you got to have this one partner, right? Who who is like your daddy, <laughs> right? And and so you got the strategist and the battlefield expert, right? They got to work together because we can have a vehicle to get us where we need to go. But in the end, we need to own the vehicle. Got to own the vehicle. Right. Then that's, that was Homer's thing. Homer was like, we can utilize the system. We can, we, can, we, can, we can infiltrate it. We can do all of those things that we actually need to do. But in the end, the objective has to be that we must own the vehicle. And we must own it. Yes. Because if we don't own the vehicle, we simply did what we did on the plantation. We made being a slave easier. <laughs> right, we built cotton gins, oh. we did all of this stuff, oh right, to make it easier to be a slave. Oh my God. But the objective was are we going to own the plantation in the end, or are we just going to make it easier? Wow, that was pretty heavy. That's that was, pretty that was, that was a major nugget right there. Major nugget, yes. Well, I, you know, uh, Tiffany. Before we leave, because we got a few more minutes before we get off, tell everybody once again the event and everything's going to take place, phone numbers, websites, or whatever you need to do, and how they will. But if you don't, have, just tell us. Well, um, the the website is the ACLU dot uh, org. It's, it's the main website, but of course they're linked to MetCare's foundation. Uh, the the link is linked to the Terrence Crutcher Foundation. I think. Uh, Demario Solomon Simmons. So you can find it. Just go to the Terrence Crutcher Foundation Facebook page um, and uh, just, you know, join it via YouTube. Also, we will be talking about the memorial that we're building. You know, right. that's going to be some bricks and stuff. That's you can purchase right. purchase bricks, that's right? right? Yeah, we can't forget that. No. You know, why don't you practice? Because you're going to be on Cape Jams <laughs> Friday with Aubrey right. Sun. Yeah, okay. talking yeah. about so, it. Yeah. So this memorial, when when um, Tiffany gave birth to this idea, we came up with this idea that going back to owning the vehicle, right? We need to say, we need to be able to legitimately say we built this. Not theoretically, not no partner. No, we built this. We were the first people to lay a brick. The community built this. The community put that brick there. Read them, right? There's your evidence. You don't need a receipt. That's the receipt right there. Mm -hmm. We wanted to create a memorial and do something that had not been done, right? Like Because the tombstone that exists there now really acknowledges the businesses. But it doesn't mm-hmm. acknowledge the people. Yeah. Right. We have to get to that core, that root right there. But this memorial, you can find it on BlackWallStreetMemorial.com. Go there. You can find and you can you can design your own brick and put your on it, whatever mm-hmm. you need to do. But it's going to belong to the people. Right. And it's for the people. It's for the ancestors. Right. And that's a beautiful thing. Right. Right. Well, hey, we've had a great discussion here tonight. This is recorded. So uh, thank you, Tiffany Crutcher. Thank Brother you. Chief, thank Absolutely. you. Thank Greg you. Robinson, thank y'all, man. You know for coming in here. We're gonna do it again. Absolutely. We'll get we'll get back Absolutely. together. All right. All right. Okay. Thank you, Bobby. All right, Bobby. Appreciate you. Thank you, guys. Hey, we're on all new KBOB here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Monday, Wednesday, six o'clock p.m. 
Saturdays from 12 to 2. So we want you to do that. Keep in mind, go to the website. Now listen here, kbob899.com. Again, kbob899.com. All right, so it's been a a good one. I enjoyed this one right here. Till the next time, have a good one, okay? With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.